We are studying through the book of Ephesians. We call this series, We Are Family, and we're just allowing God's Word to instruct us about uh, the gospel, about the reality of life, about what it is to live in this world as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning, as we continue to work through this section in chapter 4, you can get your Bibles out and open to Ephesians 4, or if you didn't bring a copy of God's Word, just grab that Bible in front of you in the pew there and turn to page 1081. Now, this has been difficult for me, I'm just telling you. Not, I mean, well, this thing was difficult too, but the reason why Brian, Pastor Brian prays because I'm over there bawling like a baby. I can't hardly get through all that. But besides that, this passage of Scripture, you know, uh, we, we talked about forgiveness two weeks ago. Now, you know, that just hit you the morning you came in. But I'm slicing through that thing for two weeks, three weeks before that. Before that, we talked about anger, which clearly I don't ever have a problem with that at all. I'm such a passive and, and you know, quiet person. And then last week, I didn't get to preach, which is God's sovereign providence and torturing me because I've had to carry this one an extra week. And this is probably the hardest, hardest conversation for me. So on your listening guides, words have power. They're powerful. They're powerful. I have to live under the constant reminder of the weight of words and my words and the things that I say and the the fearful thing it is to stand up and speak for God. But it's not just me, it's all of us. When you start looking at what the Bible has to say about the power of words, and when you just look at life, life teaches us that words have great power. Wednesday night I was preaching, uh, this past Wednesday night, and... uh, I said, made a comment about my perfect grandchildren. And I was talking about my wife posting pictures of my perfect grandchildren. What I didn't know is that Carson heard those words from inside Haley's belly sitting back there, my daughter-in-law, and he thought, hey, buddy, they're not the only perfect ones. You ain't seen this one yet. (laughs) So if you don't think words have power, the next morning when my son called me and said, Dad, her water broke, those words have power. 
And so Carson is here. Yeah. But what I'm saying is words have power, don't they? Yeah. And when people, people say things that get lodged in our heart forever, sometimes good, sometimes bad, why is it that way? Because God designed it that way. That's God's design. You see, he created the universe with his powerful words. He could have done it any way he wanted to, but he used words. He created man, created woman, blessed them with his words. It was his words that he gave Adam and Eve directives in the Garden of Eden. It was with words he warned them not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was through life-giving words that God created. But it was through doubt-riddled words that the enemy brought deception. See, God used words to calm the wind and the seas. God used words to call Lazarus from the tomb. Words. The Bible says in Proverbs 18 that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life. God made words powerful. He didn't leave us alone to figure out how to live or to figure out who he is or how to have a relationship with him or how to know him. No, what did he do? He gave us his words. His words. They have power. And all of us have been affected by words. All of us. Many of us, the words that we remember from our childhood are not the good ones. They're the bad ones. The hurtful ones. See, words have this rare power. Of all things on earth, words have this rare power to both build up and tear down. The same thing can have such drastically opposite consequences. And you think about how important this is for us today, especially in this day and age when you and I can broadcast our words instantly out to the world. James chapter 3 says, But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Somebody please tell my wife this. It's not my fault. No one can tame it. You know what makes marriage challenging? Words. You know what makes parenting challenging? Words. Words are so much a part of, of all that we do and all the struggles that we face and all the joys that we have. And when you think about what the Bible says, Jesus says in Matthew 15, it's, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. See, we have to be careful that we don't just become accustomed to sin because it's normal. 
The Bible teaches us in a few verses before the one we'll look at this morning that we're to put off the old self, put on the new self that's created in the likeness of God. And we just have to realize that in all this, the battle for purity is fought in the heart, not in the mouth. See, I know that, that, that young people today would find this, I don't know if you'll find this shocking, appalling, or hilarious, but when I was a kid, the standard protocol for dealing with a kid who had a rotten mouth was, are you ready for this? It sounds so weird, doesn't it? Wash our mouth out with soap. Now, I really wanted to say, hey, raise your hand if you still do that at your house. But I thought, nah, that's probably a bad plan. It's probably a bad plan. And the thing about it is, is I one time had my mouth washed out with soap. And it wasn't even at my house. I was at my friend's house, and we got in trouble, and his mom washed our mouth out with soap. I should file a grievance or something about that. I'm not sure that's even legal. But it's for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. So you see, washing our mouth out won't do any good. We've got to cleanse our heart. Yeah. So this morning, are you, how are you doing with your mouth? Are you happy with your words? I don't think we are. I'm not. I'm not telling you anything about you. I'm telling you about me. I'm not. I'm not. Look at verse 29 in Ephesians 4. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Just look at that phrase. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. That word corrupting, it's a very rare Greek word. It's only used in one other context in the Bible. So I I think it's very helpful for us to take a moment and talk about this so that we understand what the Bible's talking about, corrupting talk. What is that? Well, every time Jesus referred to bad fruit that's on a bad tree, he used this word. So the thing is, this word isn't inherently moral because it's used every other time in the Bible by Jesus referring to bad fruit. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus said, for no good tree bears bad fruit. There's that same exact word nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. It literally means rotten. That's what it means. So let no rotten talk come out of your mouths. Well, what, what is rotten talk? What is corrupting talk? What, what, is, what is that? Well, insults, name-calling, sarcasm making fun, tearing people down, cursing, slander, flattery, gossip, all of these things. I mean, it would take an entire hour for us to talk about all the ways in which 
we can use words incorrectly. I think we we have a pretty good handle on on what that is. And, And the thing to remember is that rotten words like rotten fruit don't nourish. You can't get nourishment from rotten fruit. You're not going to get nourishment from rotten words. No one is helped by rotten words. Nothing good comes from it. And furthermore, just like rotten fruit, if you eat rotten fruit, it's going to make you sick. Rotten words cause harm. They, they cause sickness. They, they spread like disease. See, here's the bottom line. Back to Luke 6, Jesus said the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of the evil treasures produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So how can we take this passage this morning and really understand it in a way that it makes an, an effective difference in our lives? Well, we have to understand that the issue is not It's not language. The issue is love. That's the issue. This passage actually goes a lot further than we would expect it to. You see, wouldn't you think that the Bible would say, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, and then the very next thing would be, Well, let clean words come out of your mouth. Or let good words come out of your mouth. Or let the opposite of rotten, corrupted speech come out of your mouth. Some pointers about good communication, but that's not what the Bible does. Instead of proposing clean language, good language... God's Word introduces us to an entirely new way of thinking about our words. See, instead of saying you don't need rotten words to get your point across, the Bible asks the question, well, what is your intention behind your words? Is it loving? See, God wants to get down to the root of the issue. The issue is not to avoid bad words. The issue is whether or not our mouth is a means of grace. Our mouth is is a tool that's used for which God intended it. See, look at verse 29 again. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. See, he doesn't say, don't let bad words come out of your mouth, instead good words. He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, Instead, ask, am I building people up with my words? Am I speaking words of life to people? Am I meeting people's needs? 
See, as fits the occasion, what, what this verse is, is talking about is words that meet needs, that build up, that edify, that encourage, but that are, that are obviously truthful. Am I using words to love people? And when we really look at this, what we find out is God's expectation for our words is more radical than moral. See, this isn't, don't think about this conversation about our words as, as some moral conversation because that's not what it is. It goes way beyond behavior modification. There are lots of people who don't say bad words and who are destined for an eternity in hell apart from Christ. It's true. Christianity is not don't use bad language. Don't offend people. No, it's more than that. Christianity is becoming the kind of person who uses words in people's lives the way God uses grace in your life. That's what this verse is saying. It's far more than just cleaning up your speech. This is not a warning to avoid bad things. This is a command to accomplish good things. To recognize the power of your words and to harness them for the good that God intended. It's really radical when you stop and and spend some time thinking about it. It's not stop swearing. It's not just keep your mouth clean. Use nice language. Only say things Nice, because if you only say things nice, you're going to lie. Right? Yes. You're going to lie. That's just moralism. It's about becoming the kind of person who thinks through how they might use their words. How we might use our mouth to build faith in others. To speak life into others. To to minister grace to others. We have to be careful that we don't just teach our children that Christianity is good ethics because that's not what it is. That's missing the whole point. Life in Christ is not self-control on the surface. It's a revolution in the root. That's what this is about. We don't need our mouths washed out with soap. We need our hearts cleansed with the blood of Christ. That's what we need. That it may give grace to those who hear. And look at verse 30. Verse 30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Why does, why does this verse follow this verse about our, our talk and our words and our speech? What, how is, what's the connection here? 
Well, what is the day of redemption? Well, that's the day when the battle with sin is over. It's the day when the deepest longings in our heart are satisfied with the face of Jesus. It's the day when there's no more fear, no more frustration, no more weakness, no more pain, no more suffering. It's the great day of consummation and fulfillment of all the things that we long for in Christ. It's the day of salvation. It's the day of completion. So if that's true, then what is this grieve the Holy Spirit by whom we were sealed for this day? Why does God, why didn't God say the Holy Spirit who empowers us not to talk corruptly? See, there's a, there's a link here God wants us to see. He wants us to understand the part of the Holy Spirit that gives us security in that day. That we don't need to be afraid that we're going to miss it. That we don't need to live in anxiety and worry and frustration. See, how do you ask this question? How do you and I grieve the Holy Spirit who was given to us so that we have hope in the day of redemption? How do we do that? By losing hope. Watch how this connects. What produces corrupting talk? What causes us to speak in such a way that we feel the need to tear people down around us? Why do people who speak harshly and tear people down do that? We do that because we're insecure. Insecurity is what causes that speech. And when we lack confidence in God, when we do not live in the security that we have in Christ, when we're not walking in the confidence of the promises of God, then we're going to speak from insecurity and we're going to wound people and tear people down and cause harm where we ought to be causing good. And when we do that, we grieve the very Spirit of God who sealed us. See, the point is, is that rotten words come from a hopeless heart. That's what's happening here. They come from, it comes from a place of hopelessness. It comes from a place of insecurity. It comes from a place of not walking in the confidence of what God's done through His Holy Spirit for us and in us. See, corrupting words grieve the Holy Spirit because... Think about what that says. When we speak in these ways, what we're saying is that eternity is not enough to satisfy my heart. Therefore, I feel the need to wound and to hurt. 
That's where it comes from. So I'm going to be angry. I'm going to be bitter. I'm going to hurt you because I'm hurt. I'm going to be anxious. I'm going to be worried. I'm going to be fretful. See, the worst thing we could do this morning is, is merely ask the question, how can I stop using bad words or make some internal commitment in ourselves to, I'm just going to work really hard to clean up my mouth? Well, that's not going to work. Take it from someone who has tried that multiple times. That's not going to work. A better question is to ask yourself, is my mouth a means of grace to my family and to my coworkers, to the people around me, to the people that I do life with, to the people God puts in my path? And if it's not, then why? Why? See, what's... Somewhere that's connected to an area of hopelessness in your life. There's a, there's a hopeless place in your life somewhere. Some, some hurt, some wound, some rejection, some, some brokenness that although God has spoken into that brokenness, you've rejected that. Instead of hoping in what God says, you've Believed in what you tell yourself or what the world tells you. And therefore you speak words of hurt. And it's so important. I just think about all the simple little ways that this matters so much. I think about these kids and I think about a lot of times, you know, on Wednesday nights because the pastors rotate on Wednesday nights. And so... uh, Wednesday nights affords me the opportunity to serve in our children's ministry. So sometimes I'm in the preschool or sometimes two weeks ago I was over in the uh, kingdom kids area with the larger kids. And because it's a blessing, it's just a blessing to be able to, to be over there with them because of not, not because they need another body there. You know, I was I was in a room full of four year olds and this little boy came and he didn't want to come in. Yeah, I mean he was afraid. And you know, I'm looking at him and I'm I'm trying to convince him that it's gonna be okay. And I said, Well, so I go outside the room and I said, Why are you why are you afraid to go in there? And he looked at me and he said, Because I'm afraid of girls. And I said, well, great, because I am too. (laughs) And so together, maybe we can be brave and go in there. You know, and so then he he goes in there with me. And you know how it is, you're in a room full of kids and like, there's no 
boundaries. You know, they talk right there and they just spit in your face when they're talking to you and, you know, all their breath is on you and you're just thinking like, well, okay, you know, they, they got a runny nose. I guess I'll have that tomorrow, you know. I mean, we're just swapping all the germs. But I'm looking around at those kids. See, I know the stories because I, I, I know a lot of the stories in the families of those children. I'm looking around the room at those kids, and I, and I know some of them come from single-parent homes like I did. I know some of them are, even at four years old, they're aware that they're em- embroiled in this bitter custody battle or this terrible divorce situation. They understand that. They understand that they spend some time at this house and some time at that house, and they face big things, hard things. You know, for some of them, that hour is the best hour of their whole week. Yeah. And then we, we learn the, the, the lesson for the day, you know, that God created the day and the night, and He said it was good. And God created the sky and the water, and He said it was good. And we talked about, well, what did you learn? And they would say, that God is good. Yeah, He is. He's good. Sometimes life's hard, but God's good. And that God loves us. Yes, He does. You know, how is a generation going to know these things if we don't teach them to them? Who's going to teach them right and wrong? What are we going to do? Rely on the schools to teach them right and wrong? We're going to rely on the television, the movies, or the internet? Is that what we're going to do? And it grieves my heart sometimes because some people take the, 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 the posture of saying, well, no, no, I, I raised my kids. Well, hold on, hold on. That's not what the Bible says. We just preached through 1 Timothy. You're studying 1 and 2 Timothy right now in D groups, finishing that up. Paul said, Timothy, my son. Paul's not Timothy's dad. But he... He saw him as his own in Christ. He saw him as someone to not just disciple, but to take responsibility over because God had put him in his life. You see, when we walk into church, instead of saying these kids, we ought to say our kids. They're our kids. And we ought to realize that we have an opportunity to pray over them, to teach them, to love them, to encourage them. To hold them when they're a baby. It matters. To speak words of life into them. Because it matters. When they get to elementary school, we want to teach them how to read God's word. When they get to junior high and high school, we want to teach them how to live God's word. When they they become young adults. See, a lot of these... Parents that just dedicated kids, not only were some of them my kids, but not only that, but I mean, I've, I'm, I've been a father to a lot of these kids who now have kids. 
And you, some of you have been mothers today. In other words, it's generational. We have to take responsibility. We can't say, no, I'm, I'm done and I'm in this generation. No, we're all in this together. The Bible says in, in Proverbs 29 that where there's no prophetic vision, the people perish. Well, here's what happens. The generation that quits hearing from God, you know what they do? They make it up on their own. And when they make it up on their own, we all suffer the consequences. We can't let that happen. We've got to make sure that we're speaking words of life into their little lives all along the way. We've got to invest together in the next generation. We've got to challenge them. Not to be like us, but to be what God called them to be in their generation. Yes. Because every generation is different. And God calls. Listen, this is what I'm, I'm, I'm in there with a bunch of four-year-olds. And I'm, think, I'm looking around. I'm going, you know what? One of these, one of these little boys in here might be, might be the pastor of this church one day. Yeah. I mean, I hope there's another one before that because I'll be 117 by the time he gets here. But dang. But you know what? Your next pastor might be in the youth ministry right now. And let me tell you something. If you work with our teenagers, you need to, you need to think to yourself, who, who am I ministering to? What are they going to be in the future? How's God going to use that? Words have power. So as I prayed about how we we're going to do this this morning, I thought, you know what? I don't really want to have a 45-minute conversation about how words have power. Because I think we all know they do. I think a better thing to do would be to illustrate and celebrate the power that words have. And there's lots of ways we could do this. But this is the way we're going to do it today. If you're a man, any age, male, I want you to stand up right now. Stand up. Every boy, every man, stand up. You are a man. This world doesn't see you. This world doesn't love you. It criticizes you and seeks to tear you down. But the Lord made you a man. And you have no idea how strong you are. God not only loves you, but he's promised to strengthen you. I know that it often feels like God's called you to more than you can handle. But he hasn't. That your job, your hobbies... 
They have no eternal value. But the souls of your wife and your children do. Regardless of the mistakes that you've made in your past, regardless of what your father did or did not do for you, give yourself not to being a man of earthly strength, but of being a man of dependence upon God. If you're called to be a dad, God will help you be a dad. If you're called to be a husband, God will help you be a husband. Don't ever be ashamed of being a man. God created you exactly how he wanted you to be. When God came to this earth, he did so as a man. He revealed himself from the beginning as a father. Embrace the opportunity of manhood. Declare war on passivity. The world may hate you, but Jesus loves you. And he wants you to know that no matter what, he is with you. Amen. You can be seated. Okay, ladies. Up you go. Girls, females, all of you. The world wants you to believe that it's all up to you to secure the best job, the perfect man, be the perfect Christian, raise perfect children. These are all lies meant to condemn and discourage you. The world will tell you that equality with men is your calling, but that's way too low of a calling for you. You are called to be a daughter of the king, equipped to rely on Jesus and not yourself. God made you a woman because he loves you. And that's an awesome privilege. Find pleasure and joy in your womanhood. You are beautiful in his eyes, and he calls you his beloved. God chose to call his church bride. When he thought of something he wanted to love forever, he chose a name connected to your femininity. Let that be a reminder to you of his deep, abiding, ongoing, daily love for you. You don't have to be enough for anyone else because you are enough for him. Amen. You can be seated. You know why we sometimes shy away from declaring, using good declarative words over our lives is because we get confused sometimes and we think that it's some weird name it and claim it thing, but it's not. Listen, as long as what we're saying is the truth of God, we need to speak these kinds of words over each other, over our children, over toward our coworkers who are struggling or our family members who, who 
never seem to get it together. The Bible says in Isaiah 55, 11, listen. The Bible says, so shall the Lord says, my word be that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Make it a practice to wake up every day and to speak the truth of God, to speak what's true in God, not only over your your life, your relationships, your attitudes, your decisions. Maybe you're here this morning and your tendency is to struggle with your, your past. You can't seem to get beyond the mistakes you've made in the past. And, or maybe you struggle because you never feel as if you live up to what's expected. And why don't you wake up first thing in the morning and remind yourself, say, I am not condemned by my sin today. I've been set free by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ according to Romans 8.1. I'm not condemned. I'm not a prisoner. And I will not live like one today because I am free. I will live free today. What if you're here this morning and you're still carrying that rock around in your pocket? You're trying to sort through your anger or your forgiveness. Wake up every morning and say to yourself, I'm a child of God who has been filled with the grace of God. So today I have plenty of grace to give. Lord, please place in my path today those who need grace because I have unlimited grace to draw from to give to others because it's been given to me. Maybe sometimes you feel like you don't have any purpose, like you're, you have nothing to offer, like your life is just a waste. Wake up first thing in the morning and say, I'm going to make a difference today for you, Lord, because I know that you, God, have already prepared in advance the good works that you have set before me to do. Ephesians 2.10. Maybe you struggle with being stressed or worried. You're always wound up about what's going to happen in the future. Well, then wake up in the morning and say, Today, today I'm not anxious. I'm not worried. I'm not weighed down. Because that's not who I am. I've cast my burdens upon the Lord and He cares for me, 1 Peter 5, 7. According to 2 Timothy 1, 7, I'm not afraid. I'm not weak. I do not have a spirit of fear. I have a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. Whatever it is that causes you to feel this insecurity that leads to these words that tear people down... Speak the truth of God into that insecurity. Let God speak life into you so that you can speak life into others. 
grace-filled words come from hope-filled hearts. Why in the world would any of us in this room not have hope-filled hearts? We have God's hope-filled words to us. Speak those into your heart. And you'll find that the solution to your words will follow the hope in your heart. Let's stand and bow our heads. All of us in here, Lord, we struggle with our words. We've all been wounded by words. We've all wounded people with our words. We've we felt the, the power of words in good ways when people speak wonderful, true things to us. We know the, the feeling in our heart when someone speaks life to us. Lord, somewhere in all of us, there are places of insecurity. There are places of brokenness that you have yet to to touch and heal. And Lord, we know the solution, according to your word, is hope. And the hope that we need is found in you. So God, give us the courage to speak your words of hope into our areas of insecurity that we might become dispensers of grace. That our mouths would would not tear down but would build up. That we would be a source of encouragement to not only our own children but to all those children that you give us an opportunity to speak to. That we'd be a source of light in our workplaces through our mouths. That we would use whatever platform or whatever social media we have, we would use that to be a source of encouragement and blessing to a hurting and struggling world. Lord, that's what you did for us. You showered grace upon us by sending your son Jesus to die for our sin. You saved us and you adopted us and you call us sons and daughters when we deserve none of that. You didn't just do something. You told us all about it so that our hearts could be filled with hope. So, Lord, if there's anyone here today who's been wounded by words, God, help them to lean upon you and not look to whoever that was to find their healing so that they will not wound with their words. But, Lord, if there's anyone here that's never heard your words, say, I love you. I died for you. May today be the day that they respond to your loving 
invitation to come to them for salvation. That life will be different. There'll still be struggles every day. But you'll be different because of the hope-filled words that the Lord speaks to you. So thank you, God, for this day. Thank you for this moment together that you've given us. And so as we respond to you, it's in conviction, it's in gratitude, it's in whatever it is you're saying to us. We want to we be who you created us to be for your glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. The altar's open. I invite you to come. If you'd like to come forward and kneel at the altar and pray, then we invite you to come.